0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, I will be breaking down the fourth episode of this first season of The Last of Us, an episode called Please Hold My Hand. Before I break down the episode, I did have a couple of comments I didn't get around to in last week's episode. Also a little bit of HBO news. You may have heard that the show's ratings have been very, very strong after starting off with the third largest premiere ever for an HBO series. The audience has grown for the first three weeks. And at this point, only House of the Dragon, the House of the Dragon, has ever had any larger first three-episode viewership. Obviously, that one coming off of the massive success of Game of Thrones. So quite a success they have here. And not to be too surprised, the powers that be, the head of HBO programming, Announced in an interview recently that they have already greenlit the show for season two, which was, I think, pretty much an automatic green light, unless the ratings have been really, really poor. But I believe now they're saying that it may take two seasons to tell the story of the second game, given all the expansion they're planning to do. And you're seeing already here in episode four and beyond that all of these side stories that are momentary vignettes in the game are getting their own mythologies and histories. I am not spoiled by the plot of the game, although as I watch the show, I then go and get spoilers. So I try to bring that to you as well. I will tell you some of the differences here in this episode versus the video game at the end, once I'm done with the recap. And although I do not know the plot of the second game, I do know that it's very controversial. It is very much dividing audiences. So interesting, they may be expanding that plot to two seasons. Another little bit of news for you all who are watching this show, as well as our podcast, I hope this will be ongoing, but minimally for this upcoming week, because of the Super Bowl on Sunday, The Last of Us, the fifth episode will be made available on Friday, Friday night. So I do plan to get that episode out to you sooner. Fridays are usually also when I publish the Your Honor recaps. So expect to see those two episodes very close together. Or potentially just a single episode that covers both of those topics. I'll put timestamps so you can jump around. If you're only watching one of the two shows, obviously, I'll inform you at the top of that episode and check the show notes for timestamps. Beyond that, I've been catching up on all of the Academy Award nominated films, and I have many reviews. And I'll be having a conversation with Celia about those movies, some that she has seen, some she has not yet seen. And that should be available within the next week or so. And also expect in the near future a standalone episode that will be covering the career of M. Night Shyamalan, along with a review of his latest film, the number one film in America right now, Knock at the Cabin, which is based on a novel, which I read about two years ago, maybe longer at this point, read during the pandemic, which was a little disturbing. And I'll be comparing and contrasting that film to book. And also going into a theory I have of the book, which is probably unintentional, but regardless, a kind of negative read of that film potentially, if you have seen it. And I hope to get that out to you this week. If not this week, then maybe next. And of course, we will continue to cover Your Honor and The Last of Us, both series that are approaching their midway point. And we'll be continuing to talk about other shows that have become popular recently, The Excellent Poker Face, the very strong beginning to the comedy drama shrinking on Apple TV. Other shows we'll be covering between now and our next series, Daisy Jones and the Six coming to Amazon Prime at the beginning of March. And The Consultant, also on Amazon Prime, coming on February 24th. For those who have not seen this trailer yet, this features Christoph Waltz as a business consultant with some pretty extreme efficiency processes. This is based on a novel and has a corporate set horror comedy vibe, which should be an interesting watch as we await the next season of Severance. And that's coming again on the 24th of February Just two of the things we'll be covering here between now and our next series of recap shows for Succession and Yellow Jackets. So subscribe so you know when all that becomes available. If you'd like to support the show, send us an email to needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. Give us a positive rating on your podcatcher of choice. And of course, most importantly of all, listen to our catalog, find other shows that you might enjoy in there. And of course, recommend this to your friends and family. Maybe during the Super Bowl. Recommend this to one person, just one person during the Super Bowl game. Maybe that'll help increase our audience. So, with that out of the way, I did want to touch on a few observations that I didn't get around to last week during my conversation with Celia regarding the third episode. Long, long time. So, the first thing I forgot to bring up was that even though we were so focused on the story of Bill and Frank, there actually is that whole wraparound aspect where we do spend almost half the episode, maybe a third of the episode, I should say, with. Joel and Ellie, and he does get into some of the questions we had about the way this thing spread. He mentions that it all happened almost instantaneously in a single day, within a day or two, the world was gone. Now, here's a nitpick for me. It doesn't I don't want to come off as if I'm going to bash the show for this because this is of course the board most of the times with most of these outbreak type films that everything happens all at once. I really feel like this is a self-inflicted wound. You can imagine, I mean, everybody who's watching this show has seen so many of these post-apocalyptic series, just in the past few years, whether it be The Walking Dead, whether it be Station 11, and so many zombie films, we pretty much know how an outbreak spreads. The whole idea of making it all happen in like a 24-hour, 48-hour period, it just creates more headaches than it needs to. So sometimes less explanation is better, especially with something like this, like how this thing really spread that quickly. Speaking of not thinking these things through so much, this is me once again nitpicking here, but I do wonder, would this virus really go... To humans without affecting lower mammals like rabbits, for example, I really never even thought about this. I would assume that other mammals had also been affected by this fungus. And then, you know, (laughs) when we see Bill preparing this rabbit in the last episode, maybe wonder, hmm, how did the rabbits kind of avoid this disease? One way it could possibly be is the fact that they mentioned the fungus got into the food supply. Now this is not that outlandish considering the fact, as I mentioned in an earlier episode, there is a theory that the Salem witch trials and some of the mass hysteria that emerged there was due to people eating ergot, which is a fungus that got into their food supply. And that may have been, people consuming this may have been affected by this fungus. As we know, some fungi can give you hallucinations. They're psychedelics basically. And that's the theory here based on the earlier episodes we saw, got into the food supply originally in Indonesia, and then of course spread around the world. It still seems unlikely that it wouldn't have started in one geographical area and it would not have started everywhere at the same time. So a lot of that seems questioned. Regardless though, we do now have an explanation as to how people got infected who were not bitten originally. For example, the grandmother we see next door to Ellie and Joel, she wasn't bitten by anyone. So how does she get infected? It may have been the food supply, and then certain people who ate a large amount of this particular fungus got infected from consuming the fungus, and then they started becoming these biters, and via the biting spread even more quickly through the population. In the last episode, that got explained, and I wanted to just mention that it was an open question we had from the previous episodes, and it does get explained to some extent there, even though all of this is Joel's speculation, so... This may not be true. It may just be a version of, or a theory as to how this happened. The last thing I want to discuss from last week is mushrooms. (laughs) Mushrooms as part of your diet. So once again, I didn't think about this in the same way that I didn't think about the fungus affecting lower mammals until I saw that rabbit actually get prepared. But Bill is obviously a foodie. And I would assume pretty traditionally what you serve with meat in many French dishes, for example, is mushrooms. I myself am a fan of mushrooms. Look up the nutritional value of mushrooms and you can get all the protein you need from a large serving of mushrooms. You can get all of the vitamins, except for vitamin D and calcium, I believe. You can get all the vitamins you need from mushrooms and they are incredibly cheap. You don't have to kill anything to get mushrooms. You just have to cut them off a tree or cut them from the root system. So it's like free food. So very, very convenient food supply. Unless you've seen your whole entire family and friends turn into giant mushrooms. <laughs> would this make you want to eat mushrooms? <laughs> I personally think that I would probably not be a big fan of consuming mushrooms, given the circumstances of the show. But then again, after 20 years, I mean, it is a very, very convenient food source. So, <laughs> But I am curious if that gets figured into Bill's like, did, did he ignore the mushroom ingredients from his dishes when he prepares them? I am still waiting for that conversation where it's like, we'll eat canned food, but absolutely no mushrooms. But in general, mushrooms are a very healthy way to get enough protein and minerals in your diet. I don't care because I'm not there. And I Okay, so the new episode, episode four, is called Please Hold My Hand. Very early in the episode, Ellie's riding in the back of the truck. Obviously, she does not have the skill to drive, although he should probably teach her how to drive, given the the circumstances. Ellie has a pun book that she's brought along with her in her backpack to entertain herself. I do love puns, by the way, so I am enjoying these. My wife actually got me a stack of cards for Christmas, one of our stocking stuffers of puns, and I've already put aside my favorites from that collection. Ellie's got some good ones here too that are not part of my collection. Ellie's using these very bad dad jokes to chip away at Joel's tough guy exterior. Meanwhile, he's siphoning gas. He really doesn't know how siphoning works. (laughs) As as not do I. I mean, it's something to do with capillary action and gravity. Not sure exactly how it works, but it does work. And of course, makes siphoning gasoline from all of these abandoned cars very, very easy. Ellie also finds a pornographic magazine. Joel freaks out a little bit. Don't watch that. There's a joke there about pages being stuck together, which apparently is right from the video game. She also finds a Hank Williams cassette, I believe it is, or CD. I think it's a cassette. And they listen to the song Alone and Forsaken, which of course features the line, Alone and Forsaken, by fate and by man. Oh Lord, if you hear me, please hold my hand. Oh, please understand. And of course, this is where Please Hold My Hand comes from. So generically, this is about this protector and this younger girl who actually ends up rescuing her. Celia had predicted this, by the way, last week. Please Hold My Hand. They both need some handholding. And of course, introduces this through the song, the theme of the silent god during this horrible time who has forsaken all of man. And of course, it's right there in the lyrics, alone and forsaken by fate and by man. They make some pretty great time driving... All the way across the country we find out joel has not had coffee in a while but of course bill and frank did have some back at their homestead and he's brought some along boiling some up ellie's never smelled coffee before she finds it disgusting it is a very strong smell of course and joel does tell us about the relationship with his brother and why his brother is out in wyoming tommy's what we used to call a joiner
1: dreams of becoming a hero so he enlists in the army right out of high school a few months later they ship him off to desert storm That's what they called that war, it doesn't matter. Point is, being in the Army didn't make him feel much like a hero. Cut to 12 years later, outbreak happens. He convinces me to join a group making their way up to Boston, which I did. Mostly to keep an eye on him, keep him alive. That's where we met Tess. And that whole crew, we, uh... well, for what it was, it worked. And then Tommy meets Marlene. She talks me to join in the Fireflies. The same mistake he made when he was 18. He wants to save the world. Pipe dream. Yeah, Fireflies, all of them. Delusional. Of course, last I heard, he quit the Fireflies, too. So now he's on his own out there, and I gotta go get him.
0: They somehow have a pretty smooth sailing, which I guess makes some sense. I mean, you would assume over 20 years that these side roads, these less traveled roads would have been cleared out of cars. Joel does mention, interestingly, when they're getting ready to go to sleep the night before, that the real fear, of course, this is how it always is on these shows, that the real problem is people. They can't make a fire, not because it'll attract the zombies. They're not actually smart enough to track fire or smoke. And apparently they primarily... Are concentrated where people live. So there's relatively few of them out in these rural areas. The problem is people. Since the world has collapsed, these people are scavenging from each other or worse. Everything goes pretty smoothly until they get to Kansas City. Not sure why they're trying to get to Wyoming through Kansas City. That's another question, (laughs) but maybe these roads are clearer and they find some blockage in the tunnel they're trying to go through. And rather than backtracking potentially hundreds of miles, he decides What the heck? We're just going to cut through downtown. It's only going to take us a few minutes to circumvent the the tunnel. Bad decision, my friend. As they drive through Kansas City, we see piles of burnt bodies. This is explained somehow in the video game, which I'm not familiar with the backstory here. We also see that the quarantine zone is open and has been burned out, apparently, uh, evacuated and abandoned. And right around the same time, they also see somebody in the street asking for help. Joel, of course, tells Ellie to immediately put on her seatbelt, doesn't trust this guy at all, and it turns out to be true. Someone drops an air conditioner on their windshield, they have spikes in the road that blow out their tires, and he ends up smashing the truck through a storefront. They get cornered inside this location, and a shootout ensues. Joel kills one of these two scouts, but then is losing a fistfight to the other when Ellie comes up behind him and uses that gun that she took from Bill's house and shoots him. He doesn't die though. This is actually a very powerful scene in this simple, simplified version of these shows where people just die like it's just a video game. There's no consequences to this. Well, there is here. We see him begging for his life, begging for his mother. He looks young. Ellie leaves the room, and Joel Villis finish him off. And this is disturbing to Ellie and to Joel. Who feels that she should not have to experience something like this. Now, this is when we get, we meet Melanie Linsky in a parallel story, who seems to be in charge of these. Freedom Fighters. We still don't know the full backstory here, and I'm not sure if it is explained fully in the video game either. I believe this whole entire sequence in Kansas City is just a an action sequence in the game. So I don't think any of these people have backstories, but they have given everybody a pretty interesting one here. We see Melanie Linsky, perhaps the mother uh, that was referenced by Brian, that character who died in the previous scene. And she's questioning someone that she has in custody, an older man who turns out to be her obstetrician, and she threatens to kill him if he does not give her information. And apparently she's looking for Henry and Sam, who in her estimation is some kind of master terrorist that is raining down outside interference upon them. And only later on do we discover that these are just two boys, I believe. Now the, the schism, the reason that there is this bad blood between them and this Melanie Linsky character has yet to be defined. But it seems that she believes that the doctor has collaborated with Fedra. So is she part of these fireflies? Is she something else? I'm not sure. All I know is that if I was holed up in the city and I had some supplies, not for nothing, I'd be heading out to sparser land where there are fewer of these undead. (laughs) But they're holed up in the city where something big is brewing underground, literally. (laughs) Kathleen, this character's name is, gets interrupted by her right-hand man, Perry, informing her of the confrontation that just occurred with these outsiders. The actor here, Jeffrey Pierce, by the way, who plays Perry, actually plays Joel's brother in the video games. And there's a lot of these characters, by the way, the characters from the video games themselves are in this show, either playing those same characters or other characters. So interesting that they've done their due diligence and helped these actors out who probably don't often get that much face time. They're mostly voice actors, but good to see them getting a little bit of exposure here. A little bit, a lot of exposure here, actually. Kathleen asks if there's any chance that a doctor could help the... Victims survive. Once Perry says, I don't think it's going to make any difference, she goes back and ruthlessly shoots that doctor in the head. This is very short sighted, I have to tell you, because you're going to need a doctor for many other reasons, not just this one circumstance. So probably not the best decision on her part, but I don't think she's making great decisions here as it is. Now this group of vigilantes is out in the roads searching everywhere for Ellie and Joel. Joel wants to find higher ground so he can scope out an exit from their location. The higher, the better. And he has a conversation with Ellie about the gun and shows her how to hold it properly. You have to have those interlocking thumbs to keep someone from being able to pull it out of your hands. Kathleen and Perry, during their investigation, find not only the location where Henry and Sam have been hiding and have been sleeping, but they find some kind of nest in the basement of the building. Perry thinks they should warn everybody, And we have not seen yet what is going to emerge from this hole, but we do see that there is some cracks in the ground and the whole floor is moving. Perry's very concerned about this. Kathleen says, we'll tell them later. That's not our priority right now. They're still focused on catching these two. Once again, I think this is terrible, terrible decision making. It is way more important to keep the rest of your squad alive than to wreak vengeance for those who already died. My opinion anyway, Kathleen, heart to heart, okay? Joel uses Ellie to sneak into a building through a smaller opening. I know this is all video game mechanics, but boy, good thing he brought her with him. He thinks he's all on his own. Although she does jokingly say, hey, where would you be without me? And he just says, Wyoming. She goes, mm, yeah, I guess I walked into that one. <laughs> During this walk up of this the stairs of these very tall apartment building, Joel can't make it all the way up, all 45 stories. I think they make it into the 38 or something like that. Ellie asks Joel, how did you know those people were not injured, but they were actually baiting us into a trap? And Joel confesses that he used to be like them, that at one point he did whatever he needed to do to survive.
2: Hey, you know that guy who said he was hurt? How did you know it was an ambush?
1: I've been on both sides. It was a long time ago we did what we needed to survive. You and Tess? And the people we were with.
0: My brother, too. She asks him if he's killed innocent people, something that he doesn't want to confess to. They make it as far as they can and they make camp for the night. Joe leaves some broken glass out everywhere, so make a lot of noise. She says, I noticed that you aren't very good at hearing anymore. It's probably why you need a lot of noise for that booby trap. He mentions that most of the hearing loss he has is from firing guns. So if you want to preserve your hearing, use a quieter method of killing, like a knife, for example. Stick to the knife, as he says. Or wear earplugs, people. Stop at a gun shop and get yourself some of those earplugs. And as they're falling asleep, she has one more pun for Joel, a really stupid one that makes him laugh nonetheless. Made me laugh too. And in the middle of the night, they get woken up by Sam and Henry, who are holding them at gunpoint. And that's the cliffhanger for next week. Interesting, a couple of things here. We saw no flashback this episode, first time without a flashback. And this is the first episode we have that is within these kind of mini missions or episodes. We have a continuation of story. Each one of these episodes up until now have almost been bottle episodes. Ellie and Joel wandering from place to place, encountering these different people with a flashback element as well. This was more of an action episode. And as I mentioned, it will continue into next week or at least one more week. And we'll see how this one minute drive out of Kansas City continues to stretch out. They also need a car now. So they do have a battery. They can get the battery back from the truck but then they're going to have to find another car. There's plenty of cars in the street, so it shouldn't be too hard to find, but they need to do that without arousing any more suspicion, unless they somehow become friendly with these ragtag former Firefly agents or whatever they happen to be, and they can create a new unit to continue their journey west. All remains to be seen. I assume Sam and Henry were in the floors above. See, this way I have to go all the way to the top or they stepped very, very gingerly through that broken glass. And we end on an acoustic cover of a New Order song from the 80s. And of course, 80s means trouble. So in recapping this episode, I'm actually enjoying it a little bit more than I did in the moment. Once again, I feel like I may have Walking Dead exhaustion. (laughs) And every time the show feels like The Walking Dead to me, it turns me off a little bit, to be completely honest. But in recapping it, I see some of the humanity, some of the humor, some of these unexpected moments. I'm very curious to know more about Kathleen's backstory and what brought her to this point. And very curious to find out more about Sam and Henry's backstory and where the story goes from here. So still very interested. Glad that I get to see it on Friday. I get to see it a little sooner and we'll be halfway through the season at that point as well. Celia, so i have already done the episode breakdown and i wanted to get your thoughts on it but the other thing i wanted to do and i already teased this in the preview of the episode that i want to have an episode probably next week talking about m night Shyamalan's career in general because i find it a fascinating career most of his films i don't think are that good but he's always interesting and uh, he's had such a trajectory of being like the hollywood golden boy so rare to have someone who's literally changed the way that movies are made because of that twist in The Sixth Sense. There was a decade almost where every film had to have a twist in it. And uh, it's very rare to have someone who has that amount of impact. And then his career went right down the toilet. <laughs> and he's kind of made a comeback uh, financing his own movies. So making these movies at much smaller budgets. But most of them have been successful. Even though not great ones have made money. And uh, he has one that came out this week, which I saw. And I've also read the book and I find the book and the film are very problematic because I feel like there's a metaphor there that they are not aware of. I'm not going to tell you until you see the movie, but uh, I liked it. I liked the movie. This is one of the rare Shyamalan movies that I actually like.
2: (laughs) I have not seen this movie yet, but I've seen all his other stuff and I like this guy. I'm (laughs) saying that to you and I think I was saying it to Carlos in defense of like Old, for example, which was not a good movie. But I am never bored when I watch his stuff. Sometimes it's ridiculous to the point where, I mean, some of it's funny. The ridiculousness is funny. But I am never bored. And I think he's really braved lately, the movies he's made. I'm looking forward to seeing the new one. I'm hoping it's something people could take more seriously than the last few Anytime he comes out with anything, no matter what the reviews are saying, I just, I like must see it.
0: Knock at the cabin. And obviously I'm not going to spoil anything until you see it, especially because you haven't read the book. If you'd read the book, there's really not that many surprises except for the ending, which they changed a little bit. But if you haven't read the book, then obviously the whole thing is a surprise. Although the trailer gives away a lot of stuff away. So if you haven't seen the trailer yet, this is for the general audience. Don't watch the trailer. It's one of those trailers that gives away a little too much, I think. Uh, For me, the biggest pleasure in the story is given away in the trailer. And once again, I'm going to try to be as vague as possible.
2: I won't watch the trailer.
0: Yeah, avoid it. (laughs) But what I was going to say is that what I find interesting about his films is that most of the times I really don't like his films. Honestly, I really don't. Even some of the ones that have been pretty popular. However, there's plenty of genre filmmakers that I see the movie. I'm like, that's fine. And then I totally forget about it. And his films, like them or not, I'd like I could definitely talk about them after I watch them, right? There's a lot to <laughs> talk about there. <laughs> you sometimes it's just like what the hell was he thinking? But still there's a lot to talk about there. And uh, th- I like this one. So that's my very, very brief recommendation for that. We will have a much bigger conversation about it. So Prep for that. Whenever you get a chance, go check out that movie, and then we'll have that bigger conversation. And definitely, I want to go through his career and kind of see which one of those films are winners and losers in your opinion. Because there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. Even Lady in the Water and The Happening are two incredibly bad movies, but so uniquely bad, you still have to see. Them.
2: <laughs> it's like what? What are they scared of? We shouldn't give that away <laughs> the either. Wind, but the I, wind. I remember. Yeah. When... yeah. It's like what? <laughs> like did I miss something? Uh, And uh, then I find out what it is. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) how does one escape from this? I mean, he's nuts.
0: But speaking of the happening and nature fighting back and uh, making us all lose our minds and kill each other, (laughs) let's talk about The Last of Us. (laughs) So um, this uh, fungus is making everybody uh, into monsters.
2: I do have a question.
0: Oh, yeah. I was just about to hand it over to you. So please ask your question.
2: When they're laying on the ground in this forest, like I'm assuming (laughs) they don't know about the mushroom aspect of this and the roots. I would be so worried about going to sleep on the ground.
0: Well, you know what? He actually mentions it earlier on. They are definitely aware of this like mushroom network because that's how Tess warned them that, you know, if you attack one on one side of the city, the others will come but like he mentioned, just like the population, it's concentrated in urban areas. Uh, When you're in the middle of nowhere, not a lot of people live there, so there's probably not a lot to worry about. You might have a random Uh, You know, uh, infected person wandering around. But you would also assume that if you have like one infected person in the middle of nowhere, how is that going to create like a miles wide network of fungus? Like, how is that possible? It it doesn't have any, it's not dense enough to create um, that network. So it does make sense in that regard. My question I had, by the way, in this very recap after reflecting on last week was I hadn't thought about other mammals until last week's episode where he prepares a rabbit. And I said, have this disease which now can like live in mammals because it can survive at higher temperatures. How did it skip all other mammals and go right to humans? Like it wouldn't go to rabbits and deer and all these other lower mammals. Wouldn't they be easier to control than than people? But it just jumped to people. And it would make sense to me if it jumped to people and other mammals were affected in, as well. But that only people got this, it's a little, uh, little strange.
2: Not just that. Remember that dog who knew something was happening? They're affected in no way.
0: Right, that's what they're I mean.
2: completely immune.
0: Right. Well, there was another excuse, another thing that we didn't cover in last week's episode that I also already brought up previously, which might be an explanation, which is that a lot of people believe that the Salem witch trials and the hallucinations and image and, and you know the, the mass hysteria that occurred there was from ergot, or ergot uh, poisoning in the grain, which is a fungus that gives you hallucinations, and also uh, by the way, if you've ever seen the movie The Witch, in that story, supposedly they are all hallucinating because of uh, ergot in their grain supply. That is what they mentioned, that this woman who worked at this um, in Indonesia, this woman who supposedly is maybe patient zero or very close to patient zero, who they brought up in that second episode, had been infected and she worked at a grain milling uh, place. So somehow this thing got into the grain supply and that's when people started to eat it. Anyway, this could make sense for how it bypassed other mammals because Maybe we're the only ones that are eating enough of this processed grain to get infected. It's just another reason they'll eat a low carb diet. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, some of that makes sense, but it is a little suspicious that, for example, like if this can survive in mammals, wouldn't one of these random brainless zombies like bite a deer and then wouldn't the deer get infected and then it would bite another deer. And, you know, so I it's just very funny that it only it supposedly impacts humans.
2: I don't even think of these things, honestly. (laughs) I'm thinking of stuff that's like the humans are infected, so they have to put safeties in place so they don't become like this mushroom person. So I wasn't even thinking about the animals. Now I'm like, huh.
0: I hadn't really thought about it either until, uh, you know, once again, like when he's preparing the rabbit, I thought to myself, "Hmm." (laughs) I don't want to know if I want to eat a mushroom rabbit, (laughs) but who knows, maybe I'll eat a mushroom rabbit, who knows? (laughs)
2: Short of that, I'm seeing this like feels a little like a video game. I understand that it is from a video game, and you talked about that. It feels a lot like The Walking Dead. Yeah, <laughs> I know you don't want me to keep bringing that up, but on a much oh, smaller scale, like The Walking Dead, immediately introduced you to a lot of characters that immediately bound together, and it was always crowds, even from season to season if people died off, other people came in, but it was always a crowd constantly where this I'm um, seeing an intimate relationship between these two people that are stuck together. She's becoming like a surrogate daughter to him. I think that's mm-hmm. the vibe I'm getting. Like he's teaching her how to not die. And she's looking at him like father figure and uncle or some someone she could trust.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, like he has that daughter that he lost, obviously. That's very important to have that as the beginning of the the show, right? That's a part of him that he's intentionally trying to dampen down. But of course, we know that that's there. He's always going to compare her to his daughter, the one he lost. And in a way, she becomes a, a daughter figure to him as well.
2: I like that it's more intimate than The Walking Dead felt because of all the people. Although... The Walking Dead is something I watched for over a decade. I have no problem with The Walking Dead, by the way. So when I compare them, I'm not even being facetious. I'm basically just noticing it. This still feels more intimate. A road trip, a life journey with two people, like last week's episode. I like it. I don't have a problem with the fact that I keep Comparing it to The Walking Dead because of the similarities.
0: I find it a little weird that they were heading to Wyoming via Kansas City from Boston, <laughs> but that's uh, not the route I would take. But maybe there are, you know, maybe they know where the roads are clearer and where the roads are Their not. Their
2: GPS clearer. is not working; they have to be <laughs> well, a map.
0: That's <laughs> a general strategy. Though. you could go straight; just go straight west. You go straight west, or you drive right to Chicago. You don't drive to Kansas City.
2: You know what I was thinking when they were on the side of the road there and they are like, we can't get through this tunnel, so we're going to have to backtrack, and then they get lost on these side streets. I wouldn't even have tried to stay on the road. If I could just drive around it on turf, I wouldn't backtrack through a whole city to get on another highway. That's what I would have done. I feel like that would have been more efficient. Plus, everything is turf anyway. The virus has decimated most of the streets.
0: Yeah, i not sure Kansas City would look like that at that point in time, but <laughs> this wasn't shot in location. This was shot somewhere else. Once again, just like The Walking Dead, by the way, this is something that kind of disappoints me with all of these shows. The idea that, you know, even though it's been proven out that, you know, despite plagues in the past and wars and everything else, that in the end we keep surviving as a species. We don't just eat, annihilate each other. But every single time there's one of these post-apocalyptic type TV shows no one's willing to work together. They're like, don't trust people. If any person comes near you, they're there to kill you. <laughs> it's like, really? Nobody can like work together collaboratively at all. Like, I don't understand why, you know, as soon as they roll into town, these people are like, let's kill them and take their car. It's like, do you need another car, really? I think you have plenty of cars.
2: Well, just like in The Walking Dead, their mentality, which is it right. it is a very grim mentality that they right. have these assumptions about human beings, they are in a situation that we talked about on another podcast, when the end of the world happens, there's always the people who are trying to make out better. And then there's the people who are ready to follow. And then there's the people who can't deal with anything and lose their minds. And I know that you think that people should all band together because that's a very optimistic view of humanity. Like, do you really think that would happen more so than not happen?
0: I do think that would happen because that is our history for the past 100,000 years, right? So it's we have not killed each other off every single time things got bad. We have you know gotten together and rescued each other. Uh, or we wouldn't exist right now. Like, think about it. If the idea is that you cannot trust anybody else, And you will band together with somebody else only until you have a chance to kill them and take what they have. Then, how did we survive as a species? Like, we have been through rough, rough times as a species when you think about all the plagues that have hit us, the wars that have spanned continents. And we do not exterminate each other. We come together and fight nobly, right? Like, you know, think about like even World War II, we go and fight and die for someone else, right? Not even to protect our our own borders, but to protect someone else's borders. We have not proven ourselves to be a scavenger race like every single post-apocalyptic film draws out, but that is the only mythology we have. (laughs) The only version of mythology we have is that in the end, everybody will simply turn into a scavenger and will kill everybody who stands in their way. And uh, once I scan like I said, hundreds of thousands of years of human history does not bear that out.
2: I think that especially because it's this man and this little girl, and he already has lost someone. Everyone has the same mentality, though. But that's like an example. He's trying to protect this little girl. He feels like he can't trust people. Everyone is better safe than sorry. (laughs) Better kill them just in case. Like That's what I feel like all the characters feel. I want to be nice, but... I don't want to be sorry, so eliminate. Plus, it's a video game, so eliminating is like part of the thing. Right.
0: I I think that's... I mean, but it's not just video games. I totally agree that obviously video games are not about kumbaya and building up a community. It's about (laughs) fighting your way out of a situation. So I agree that that's the video game mechanism, but this isn't only in our video games, or maybe it's just the fact that video game culture has become pop culture to the extent that every story that we have any of these new mythologies are all basically video game mythologies. Even when they're not, like for example, The Walking Dead was a comic book. It basically has the same kind of mindset. I just find it to be like extremely cynical. Not that it wouldn't happen. Not that there wouldn't be scavengers. Not that there wouldn't be terrible things happening. I'm not being you know naive about the fact of that. It's just that that there is nothing else. And maybe And maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe by the way, we will see more of this. But the idea that, for example, he's openly saying that, hey, once you get out of the cities, Uh, you know, you can be pretty safe out here. So don't worry about it. We just have to worry about scavengers. And I think to myself, if you were living in a rural area where there were relatively few of the problems that had happened inside the cities, maybe they'd say like, stay out of my community. I don't want to get infected. But the fact that they wouldn't work together, they'd be like, nope. They're just going through this, <laughs> this. They're just going through the forest looking for survivors to kill them off. It's like, why wouldn't they create a small community and 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 farm? We don't have any version of that. Even The Walking Dead, like in season two, did offer that version of the world. The, we don't even have that here, not yet anyway. Maybe we will have it, but we don't have it yet. And for me, it's just a little too one note and cynical, my personal opinion. But we haven't finished the show yet. So, any other observations here? I did like the fact that she had her pun book with her. I do like a good pun.
2: That was funny. I didn't know some of those. I said, oh, that is hilarious.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. The Scarecrow one. I already shared that one. Some uh, <laughs> I like that did one. Did you? Yeah. Why did the Scarecrow get the award? Because he was outstanding in his field. Get it? Get it?
2: <laughs> that is funny. All of the jokes were funny, actually. Yeah.
0: I want this okay. book. Him bought me a puns book for, a puns cards for um, Christmas. I think I read some of them the last time I saw you.
2: No, you didn't. I would remember this. Oh,
0: I've saved my my favorites already. There's one is, did you hear about the new restaurant? It's called Karma. They have no menu. You get what you deserve.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I like Um, it.
0: (laughs) Maybe that'll that'll come up on the next (laughs) episode of the show.
2: You should do that for episodes now.
0: I'll do a pun each time. Sure.
2: Yeah. Start with (laughs) a pun or insert one where you can. That would be fun.
0: Have a little contest to see if people can find the pun in the episode.
2: They don't even know what you're talking about, though. You'd have <laughs> to explain. I, I kind of like
0: this. What else? Melanie Linsky, pretty cold-blooded here, killing that doctor. I don't know if you want to kill the doctor. Yeah, okay, he couldn't have saved that person's life, but don't you want to have a doctor around just in case? What's, what is what the next thing? So what if somebody and needs a doctor he was her tomorrow?
2: doctor. He birthed her. Obstetrician, her
0: obstetrician, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: She is mean and bitter. This yeah, girl gets a exactly. lot of work, doesn't she?
0: She does. Yeah, she does.
2: Good for her. Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, joking uh, that we might see a Yellow Jackets Last of Us uh, crossover (laughs) event. Who knows?
2: She's really versatile, though. She could play like really sexy and or evil or tomboy or she's very good.
0: Very good. Why can't she use her New Zealand accent, by the way? I understand on Yellow Jackets, she's supposed to be from New Jersey, but why here? Why can't she ever speak in her regular accent? I
2: don't know. Maybe she likes talking like she's from New Jersey because I can't even see her using a New Zealand accent. I feel like she lives next door. She looks like she lives next door. She she's like, you know, a regular woman, but very, you know, pleasant looking. I think she's attractive. She's not the usual Hollywood diva type that we were used to. Although that's changing nowadays, which I'm very happy about, you know, less pressure. I like her. Yeah,
0: Exactly. <laughs> it's been interesting to see her career in parallel with um, Kate Winslet when they did uh, Heavenly, Heavenly Creatures. Heavenly
2: Creatures.
0: Creat- yeah. And then, you know, they both had these really long careers. It's pretty. I'd love to see them work together now. They're both at a place in their lives where it'd be very interesting to see them make a show together.
2: I would love to see that movie again. That is a really good recommendation. That's a fantastic movie. It's one of those movies you actually don't forget.
0: Oh, yeah. I still
2: remember this movie because I loved it so much.
0: And that's Peter Jackson before he made Lord of the Rings. It was like back when he was still making low budget films. And I think he was more interesting filmmaker back then, to be honest. Although I do like those Lord of the Rings, the first trilogy. I don't like the Hobbit films, which he also made. I didn't really like those. I agree. Oh, yeah. So the cliffhanger here for the ending. So I think the mystery we have is why is the Melanie Linsky character, Catherine, I believe her name is, why is she so adamantly going after these uh, boys? I don't know if it's a, I think it's an older boy and a younger boy, or maybe the dad, he seems too young to be a father, probably younger, older boy, younger boy, Henry and Sam. Why is she so adamantly chasing him down, is convinced that they somehow have betrayed her? She's willing to risk the lives of her people for this. She kind of sounds like a, a not only a fanatic but like a completely deranged. When you think about the fact that we see something underground like emerging, that it's one of these super monsters that is going to emerge, erupt from underground, which terrifies her right hand man, and she's like, "Let's ignore it until we deal with this thing at hand, which is getting vengeance on these kids. Get the hell out of there." That should be your priority. I don't understand what the hell uh, she's so... I, I don't know. Once again, I don't know what her backstory is. We will find out next week. I'm pretty sure.
2: I would be wondering, how do we get rid of this thing? Right. Either get the hell out of or there or... you can't. Or, or
0: I don't think they can. This is going to be one of those... Think, or
2: something.
0: I think you've seen it in the trailer. It's that giant mushroom headed thing that emerges from the ground. I think we're going to see it pretty soon. They, if it terrifies this guy, seems to be like, we got to get out of here, then... I think they should get out of there. Like, honestly, think about it. The quarantine zone is evacuated at this point, and she seems to be hunting down these people in the street because someone died. Maybe it was her, her son. I don't know the details of it, but she's on this vendetta mission. If the quarantine zone is gone and there's the, the the city seems abandoned, get out of there. Like, go to the next city or go set up camp somewhere. Like, what are you doing there? This is the worst possible place you could be right now. <laughs>
2: I feel that she sees them as traitors. But what kind of a narcissistic maniac are you that you feel so slighted right. by something that you would put people in the situation right. that you're not putting only your them old in? Life,
0: yeah, but yeah, other people's lives.
2: I would probably be the people that were being chased because I'd be like, "I'm not listening to this. I'm not doing that."
0: <laughs> well, I'm, I am. I'd be hanging thing. out
2: with uh with with the two kids. I'll be like right. I don't like her either. I think she's nuts.
0: I mean that it all remains to be seen in the video game from what I've sussed out, I kind of do a little bit of research. I try not to spoil anything ahead of time, but I do after the episode ends, get the lowdown on that part of the game and like what how it correlates to what's inside the game. And in this particular case, these are like faceless people. Like you basically have to shoot your way out of Kansas City and along the way you end up with um the Sam and Henry character or maybe it's just Sam, I forget. But These are characters that turn up at this point in the game. They don't have really well-defined backstories, and the villains, the people you're fighting against, don't really have a backstory either. So this is another one of these expansions where they take an element of the story, similar to what they did with Bill and Frank last week. They take these characters you just kind of run into, and they added this whole uh, backstory to them, which I appreciate for sure. And especially because it's not just they're here for a minute, they bring in Melanie Linsky of all people, like get a name actress to come in. And then they just kind of roll out of town a day later. They are going to be at least next week, and probably maybe more even than that, that this story will continue until they can escape that town. Or who knows? Maybe they team up in the future, possibly. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, and by the way, because of the Super Bowl, next week's episode is coming out on Friday. So we may have to wait a whole week. So maybe we'll record early as well.
2: Excellent.
0: So check in this weekend for that episode as well as our recap of. Your Honor, the Showtime series, plus some of those other bonus content I mentioned as well. Some Valentine's Day recommendations coming your way soon, some reviews of the films that got Oscar nominations that I've caught up on recently, and hoping we have a good Super Bowl. I think it's a pretty good matchup, so it should be a pretty entertaining game this weekend as well, and maybe discussing some of the movie trailers we'll see premiering there during the game, maybe some of those reviews as well in the upcoming episodes. Stay tuned for all of that, and I'll talk to you soon.